are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This week's episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by Trad Gang. Tradgang.com is 100% totally devoted to traditional bow hunting. The three goals of Trad Gang are as follows. To offer a public website for those that love the sport of hunting with traditional archery equipment, such as self-bows, longbows, and recurves. To create a friendly atmosphere for all, dedicated to the discussion of all topics that relate to traditional bow hunting. And to support traditional bow hunting and archery manufacturers, vendors, services, and organizations. Good folks that have their hearts and souls poured into the sport. And with their new platform, all members now have the ability of direct posting, meaning you can post directly from your phone or your computer. And there's also no need for third-party hosting or having your pictures fall away or being held hostage. Now your photos will be forever documented on the Trad Gang server. So if you have never been a member of Trad Gang and want to join a great community of traditional bow hunters, head over to www.tradgang.com and register today. If you have been a member that has been away for a while, I welcome you to return to Trad Gang and get involved in the great discussions going on there. Now on to this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. To kick off this week's episode, I first want to say, and this is based on some things I saw in the discussion about podcasts this week, if you normally fast forward through the quick intro to get to the content, you don't want to do that today. I've got what I think are some pretty exciting announcements I want to make with you, so uh, don't don't skip ahead. Just just stay tuned and listen to these. Um, first of all, on the, the heels of our, our recent episode that we recorded with Ryan Gill on his bison hunt, I want to share a new series of episodes that we'll be starting on very soon. Uh, Ryan had spoken to me a few months back, right after he, he recorded the first podcast he did with us about starting his own podcast, and I shared some information with him, and I kept waiting for that to come out. And then recently, he reached back out to me a few weeks ago and said while he had had the content and he had thought about the topics and the guests that he wanted to do, he just really didn't feel like he had the time to launch a, a new platform. And he asked me if I would like to team up with him uh, and work together to bring that content to you, the public. So starting very soon, we will be adding an episode roughly once a month uh, discussing primitive topics, and these will be with various guests. And the episodes will be primitive in nature, but again, they're going to cover a wide range of topics. So look for those coming very soon. And once again, I'm super excited to have uh, Ryan participating and now uh, what looks to be on a fairly regular basis. So I'm really excited about that. The second thing that I want to cover with you real quick, I've hinted at this a little bit. We're going to officially announce and launch our next giveaway, and that's going to be a custom fiberglass fly rod and a custom license plate. Uh, our, our former guest, uh, sponsor, and good friend Scott Spray has offered uh, up a custom fly rod and one of his custom-made license plates for a giveaway here on the podcast. Now, the rod is a five-weight, four-piece, eight-foot fiberglass rod. It has a full Wells handle. Uh, it'll be fitted with black aluminum uh, uplocking reel seat and a short one-inch fighting butt with custom acrylic caps that Scott makes himself. 
Uh, I can just tell you after seeing the rods that I've got from Scott and the ones I've seen him building lately, it's going to look absolutely fantastic. And he's also throwing in one of his custom license plate uh, made to the winner's requested design. And if you have not seen one of these plates, they are just fabulous. I've had one on my truck for several uh, months now, and I get all kinds of comments and compliments on it. Um, and I'll leave a few photos of both the the, the rod uh, blank with a, the handle as well as a few examples of Scott's license plates in the show notes as well. Now, the winner will be announced somewhere around our one-year anniversary. It's going to be a little bit late just because of the way the dates weren't work out uh, of, the, of the show itself. And that episode will go live on the 31st of March. So the winner will be drawn just prior to that week. Uh, so the deadline to get entered will be midnight, March the 24th of 2019. Now, for the details, to be entered, you must leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes. The winner will be drawn from the names of all five-star ratings and reviews on the iTunes platform. Now, the first thing you might ask is, why iTunes? What about all the other podcast platforms? And, well, it's honestly pretty simple. Uh, You know, I feel the show has a lot of great content and some good values that need to be heard And the only way to get more listeners introduced to the show is through a ranking system. And iTunes is simply the most popular platform, many times over more popular than all the other platforms combined. Uh, iTunes is easy to download. It's easy to install on your PC. Plus, it's free. Personally, I think a $300 prize package is worth the time it takes to do this. It's not that hard, folks. And if you want the chance to win, take the 10 minutes or so to download and install iTunes. Do a search for Traditional Outdoors, find us, and leave us a five-star rating and review. And we wish everyone the best of luck in that drawing coming up at the end of March. Okay, with all that behind us now, we're going to move forward and jump into the show. And tonight on the podcast, I'm very excited to say we have our first international guest. Uh, He's hanging out. He's been listening to all this. So without further delay, joining us from across the big pond in the land of kangaroos and crocodiles, Mr. Jimmy Behag. How's it going, Jimmy? Good morning, Steve. Afternoon. How you doing? You good? Uh, morning, afternoon. I thought we're, we're covering both on this episode. <laughs> yeah, we, we just crossed it. We just, it's just going from morning to afternoon. So, yeah, good afternoon. How are you? So, what's the what's the what's the weather like over there, uh, mate? Right now, it's a very warm thirty-two degrees. So that's about oh god, I don't know what what more that's. Probably about eighty or ninety or so, I suppose. In your for you guys, yeah, yeah. I think that sounds about right. I've, I've never been I've never been good at converting it. Uh, I will tell you, it's it's roughly seventy five, eighty degrees here, so okay. not a lot of difference there. I'm you know I'm in I'm in Georgia, and we just obviously can't seem to have a regular winter. We we yep. go up and down and and all over the place. So yeah, okay. Uh, but, it's about, uh, yeah, about 90. It's about 90. I'll just Google it. Quickly Google it. It's about 90. <laughs> now, Jimmy, where whereabouts are you located in Australia? Okay. So I live in um, probably the southernmost town of uh, Sydney itself. So on the, I'm on the east coast down in New South Wales, and Sydney is on the lower uh, – it's on the lower section or lo- probably the lower third of New South Wales, and I'm on the – um, outskirts, I, I live in a town called Cronulla, so we're actually a beachside suburb, and uh, we're surrounding really 
beautiful bushland and national parks and it's um yeah high summer over here so it's a it's a real good time of the year it's a pretty much a surf town actually but um luckily enough we're pretty pretty fortunate with um a lot yeah a lot of bushland a lot of national parks and a lot of outdoor activities in our region so um it's actually the birthplace of of australia actually of modern australia so the, the town of Kurnell, where captain cook first landed is uh he's just in that was in the bay which is about five minutes drive up the road so it's a it's a very um a famous spot for australians really yeah very good very good and we and i do want to get into um some discussions around around yeah. public landing hunting over there but i don't yeah. want to get too too far ahead of myself here i'd I really want to talk more about, you know, bow hunting and, and specifically traditional bow hunting yeah. uh, in Australia from your perspective. So, you know, are you, are you, do you have to go out and search to find, find another traditional bow hunter? I mean, how, is there a lot of traditional bow hunters in Australia or a lot of um, bow hunters in general or no? There's a lot of bow hunters in general. Um, I'd, I'd say that the traditional community probably make up Oh, as an estimate, it'd be under, well under 10%. Um, I, I've met, you know, I've, I've been to a couple of traditional shoots. They're um, certainly not anywhere in, in size to what sort of you guys have in the in the States and whatnot, but uh, there's a lot of hunters. Like, we have a big hunting community. Um, there's a lot, a lot of fellows that hunt with compounds, but I've, I've managed to sort of stumble across a couple of fellows that, that I get out and bow hunt with and one of them was a rifle hunter and he's um he's uh come back and seen the light and he's actually a recurve hunter now as well and gets out with a bear recurve and awesome yeah but um there's it's kind of like I, I think there's a, a big concentration of traditional bow hunters in certain areas there's an area called the hunter valley which is uh kind of like i suppose you'd compare it to the napa valley of california or something it's it's a, a very famous wine region and uh that's that's about or oh, it's a it's a huge area it, it starts about two hours north of where i am and it, it stretches a long way up towards um queensland and, and and the upper hunter which is another region so there's the lower hunter valley and the upper hunter valley that has a really good traditional bow hunting community up there because of a, a fellow named Nick Linton who has uh, the, the Hunter Valley traditional bow hunters. And they, they, they run a lot of shoots around Australia with another um, traditional bow hunting organisation out of Queensland, which is further north, uh, the Toowoomba Queenslanders. or Yeah, Toowoomba, Queensland, uh, Toowoomba traditional bow hunters, I think they're called. Mm -hmm. um, so there's it, it's kind of like... Um, there's a few scattered souls about who kind of get out and do their own thing, and that, that's all across Australia. But there's a couple of little uh, pockets where uh, people have sort of gathered together or, or, or people in those areas have uh, influenced a really good outdoor traditional community. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of – I haven't really hunted with a lot of traditional bow hunters, but um, it's certainly sort of finding each other over – social media and, and and the likes of that and forums and, uh, and then from then it's kind of builds on uh on hunts and i've met some guys from victoria i'll be hunting with them later in the year oh in a, in a couple of months in new zealand and then another fellow later in the year 
to um, chase up some sandbar deer down in Victoria as well. So yeah, it's it's a it's a good thing, good thing to get you know on online, and that's sort of how we're really meeting these days. So how does how does um, how hard is it getting getting hunting equipment? Oh, it's a, I mean, are there like easy. manufacturers over there, or is it? Are you buying a lot of stuff from the U.S.? Yeah, I buy a lot of my stuff just from the U.S. I mean, I'm, I'd say I'm exclusively buying everything from the U.S. except for uh, broadheads. There's a really good broadhead manufacturer. Oh, there's a few really good broadhead manufacturers over here, but um, we we have a couple of stores in Sydney, but but they're uh, they really cater for. Uh, compound archery and and if you want to get any sort of traditional gear it's it's getting better it's it's a bit limited in what you can get but it um you know you can certainly order bits and pieces but it's it's easier just ordering straight from a manufacturer or someone like three rivers or lancaster but um you just have to pay a little bit extra for shipping i'm sure yeah our our shipping's pretty good it's our import tax that gets us but um you know but um We've got a couple of bowyers over here. There's a couple of guys getting into it, and there's a few. Um, well, well, Nick Linton is a bowyer. He does Norseman bows, which are a, a Howard Hill I've heard style. Of those. Yeah, it's a Howard Hill style longbow, and um, he's a huge fan of Howard Hill. I've shot with him on some shoots, uh, not for a few years, but um, he's a great guy to talk to. Really, really deep into uh, the history of Howard Hill, and um, his bows are they're really good, really good shooters, but. Um, there's a couple. There's there's a couple that have sort of come and gone, but um, for a new bowie to start up, it's really hard to compete with with what the Americans are doing. And to be totally honest, I why would you? I I, I mean, you guys, the bows you guys make are phenomenal, and then you know, I've shot a, a, a few different bows from the states, but um, it's um, I wouldn't I wouldn't change to be honest with what I'm shooting because they're just phenomenal bows. Now I think I know at least one of the broadheads you're referring to, but yep. what are the two broadhead manufacturers in Australia that you you can think of? Okay, so there's uh, there's the one two that I've shot, and there's probably another three that cater uh, mainly for compound shooting. But what I shoot, I I shoot a company called Outback Broadheads, and that's a You'll see them on my Instagram, but you'll you'll see them. Um, fellas like Matt Webb, they shoot them. Um, he's a really good bow hunter from down Victoria, who mm-hmm. hunts a lot of sandbar deer. And they're a three to one ratio. Very much, they very, look very much like a a Howard Hill broadhead. And they're a single. Well, there's double bevel, but there's I shoot them. They're a single bevel, uh, one thirty grain. And now I'm just starting to shoot two hundred grain broadheads. Okay. And there's another one that caters really well for um, traditional bow hunters is Tusker Broadheads, which are an old Davies Broadhead, which a fellow made in the 60s or 70s, and, and they were brought up later and remanufactured. And um, you'll see, you might see a guy on YouTube called Carl Brown, and he hunts, or Captain Bowman. He's a really good guy to check out because it gives you really good insight into deer hunting in Australia, and he shoots. Um, Tusker Aztec broadheads, and he's got phenomenal results. They're they're very much like a, an ace broadhead, or um, they're just a Zwicky. At, at the end of the day, they're pretty much just a, a Zwicky broadhead. Right. Yeah. 
And the, yeah. the Tusker was the one I was I, I was definitely thinking of. And if okay. I'm not yeah. wrong, isn't um, uh, Van Diemen? Are they made in Australia? Yeah, they are. Yeah, Van Diemen Broadheads. They're, they're, they've sort of come up in the last two years. I'm not exactly sure how long they've been around, but there's um, from memory, they're 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 actually quite suit. They've got a really good ratio. I think they're a three to. They might be a little. Um, they're a little shorter. Yeah, yeah, they are. They are. But um, there's some fellows up in Mudgee. There's a, well, there's a guy that lives south of me in the Wollongong region, and he hunts a lot up in Mudgee and, and takes some good. Uh, fellow deer pigs and, and wild goats and he shoots them and there's a few other fellows that have you'll see on social media started to get into them they're a really good solid broadhead um but I, I honestly don't know much about them other than a few stories here and there on the on the internet fellas getting out and, and getting good results of those well I, and i've got three of them i'm gonna try this year but, oh yeah yeah uh, good buddy uh pat kelly i'm not sure if you know pat kelly from facebook but he no, um no. I've known, I've never met the man face to face, but we, we kind of got to know each other through trad gang and then we, you know, followed each other on Facebook and, um, you know, he'll, he'll just pick up the phone and call me every now and then and I'll do the same to him. We've gotten to know each other really good. And, uh, a a month or so ago, he sent me a message, asked me for my address and few, well, I guess it was probably a week or so later. That's the reason I knew they were from Australia thought yep. i remembered them being from australia because the the package showed up and it was from australia and i'm like well yeah, i haven't okay. ordered anything from australia but yeah uh they they look pretty they look pretty decent i'm i'm a i so we've had several discussions around this i like a three to one head but i love a really wide head on most most of the animals that i yep. hunt yeah so I do like the fact that this one's a little bit wider. Uh, you know, I had um, uh, Thunder Valley Archery made some Magnus single bevels, the Magnus Classic, based on the 160. So they came out 150 grains, but they were about an inch and a half wide. And okay. then this year I started shooting some of the Simmons again. Yeah, yeah, um, they're good heads, really good heads, yeah. They are, and they are just, man, those things Deadly. are nasty. <laughs> yeah, they, are. <laughs> they are just nasty. I, yeah, I got my first deer with a Simmons head and a few other a few other animals, but they're really good, really good, yeah. Just just um, harder for us to get the, the, the um, sure. yeah, the, the um, really good broadhead, really solid, and really, their, their cutting diameter is, um, everyone I've ever showed a Simmons broadhead to, they're like, oh, geez, I don't think I'll uh, go messing about with those, but yeah. Really good. Yeah, and I'm shooting the the uh, the tree sharks, which is the only glue yep. on they still they still oh, okay. make. But they're they're two and an eighth inches wide. I mean, they are yeah. Just but with I shoot a heavy enough head that the width really just doesn't affect any. I have, excuse me, heavy enough arrow that the width doesn't really affect anything. I can't I can't tell any difference between shooting those and shooting a three to one grizzly as far as arrow flight. Yeah, they okay. Just, they fly yeah. great. Yeah, they are so. I think they all fly sorry, pretty well. Oh no, I was just saying. I, I, I think they all fly pretty pretty well. I mean, that that vented head gives them a very good balance. But um, I think anything out of a stick bow, I've never had any problems with anything flying, throwing mm. poorly. So to be honest, me me either. If well, once you get the once you get the arrow tuned, mm. and the the you know the the arrows the arrow spined right for the bow, and the bow's tuned right, I'm the same way. In fact, most of this past season. At, at at pretty much at any time, I had two different 
broadheads in my quiver, and sometimes I had three. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. As long as the weight's the same, yeah. they fly the same. Yeah. Especially the at ranges that I'm willing to shoot on an hour. Exactly. Anyway. Keep it close, and there's really you don't really have much to worry about. Exactly right. Hmm. So, Jimmy, how did tell us how did you get started in in traditional bow hunting, traditional archery? Uh, well, a, a few of us used to do uh, traditional archery as kids, and uh, my brother and I, we used to try and make bows as kids, and uh, we had a couple from a. Um, I've actually tried to find this tree that we used to cut down, um, and but back then we didn't realize that it was the timber that bent and the strings stayed the same. Uh, length so we can run as as youngsters we were doing it wrong (laughs) right but um, I actually I I asked my brother what we used to cut down and I think it was actually this tree that was a bit of a weed but um, they weren't they weren't real bows that was just kids running around sort of um, playing you know cowboys and Indians and all that sort of thing which everybody seemed to do and then in my early 20s I got back into archery and then there was a big gap until about I started bow hunting that's only probably about seven years ago, and um, I used to get out hunting public land. Uh, got access to hunt a couple of properties, and along the way, just met a few other mates and forged sort of friendships out of uh, from uh, social media and uh, um, just meeting fellows through other avenues. And and um, yeah, just got out hunting. Started on public land, which was really hard back then. And um, one thing I probably will have to say is, funnily enough, it was um, Jay Campbell's book. I remember stumbling upon that at some stage and just being, um, I, th- I think, just really wrapped in the the every. Uh, well, how would you put it? The sort of the working man's story, the everyday story of a uh, traditional bow hunter. That's what I got out of Jay's book and. And that really pushed me along with hunting goats, and I love those sort of, you know, those simple, old, simple stories of, of what those fellas did. So, yeah, it was kind of, you know, the old Fred Bear books, obviously, and 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 watching Howard Hill and things. But um, it was, I, I think, a story of honestly, probably self discovery. You know, it was um, always having a love of archery and shooting bows now and again, and then. It was a fellow and I got involved in a, a local archery club down here, um, in which is actually uh, in the area called Botany Bay, which, funnily enough, is where Captain Cook landed, and, and that's kind of where mm-hmm. Sydney Sydney exploded, and and the settlement and, and everything went out there for a couple of obviously a couple of hundred years ago. But Botany Bay is a really big, um, famous bay in Sydney. And there's a club that's just off the back of that. And I went down there and there's a fellow named Bruce Dillon who's in the Archery Hall of Fame. And he's a, he's probably about 80 or 78 or 80 these days. And a really um, old school bow hunter from from when he was young. And he's, he's hunted it all in Australia. And uh, he's the teacher down there or he's the instructor. And met him and... and uh, just from kind of, you know, from then on, I really didn't enjoy target archery and I spoke to him about bow hunting and how to get into bow hunting and it was not really something I set out to do, but it was a, a natural progression and, excuse me, it was just, um, I thought, well, you know, getting out, we always 
you know, um, my my brothers and my, my friends and all that, we've always been a real outdoor community down here, um, be it surfing. We're, we're huge into bushwalking. There's a really um, amazing bushwalking areas which we're always doing. And uh, it kind of linked the two, to be honest. And then it was just a... Um, I suppose just discovering the opportunities and um, from then on it just sort of, I guess that's where I am now, you know, it's hunting as much as I can and then enjoying time out in the bush as much as I can. So it sounds like you, uh, you're a, a, tra- a traditional bow hunter first and a traditional archer second. Is that is that a fair statement? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't actually set out to... I didn't look at a bow and say, "Oh, I'm going to get out and bow hunt." It was, it was kind of being involved in archery, but it. I think it's kind of like waking up one day and you're like, "I really want to be a, a traditional bow hunter," you know. And I always uh, loved the whole idea of bow hunting, so it probably is. It, it without realizing it, it, it probably actually is. Yeah. So you've you've mentioned a, a couple of times. Um, you know, public land access, hunting public land. And, and actually that is one of the things that, that I had actually jotted down here as I wanted to talk to you about. And then I reached out uh, today. Nick wasn't able to join us. I guess I should have mentioned that Nick's having um, power issues because of the the snow and ice they've got in Michigan where he lives. Okay. So I reached out to, to Tom um, to see if he wanted to try to co-host and he wasn't available either. Uh, for personal reasons, I'm I'm not going to get into. But yep. Tom is actually planning to hunt. Uh, he's got a hunt plan mm. for Australia uh, later this year, and and he worded it a little bit better than than I did had it worded. But basically, what it comes down to is this: you know, with with Australia basically being a a colony of, yep. of the Crown, how yep. how does that affect your access to public lands? Um, well, let's go with that one first, and I got a follow up to that. But how how does how does that how does that play out with regards to your access to public land? Okay, so in um, Australia, our, our states are broken up, and um, the public land is run independently through each individual state. And the only states that have public land hunting are actually Queensland. Oh, sorry, Queensland does not. Uh, but it's New South Wales and Victoria. So they're all on the East Coast. Queensland at the moment is trying to push for it. And I think in Tasmania there is a very small season of April which they have some limited areas to public land hunting. But uh, bow hunting is actually illegal in Tasmania. So it's, it's really left to New South Wales and Victoria. And I'd say Victoria have a a much better setup or a much better regulation system and a much better um i guess their department like you would say the department of fish and game is um very much pro hunting down there whereas new south wales it's very different so in new south wales what we have is uh or australia wide we have there's obviously farmland which makes up a huge section and private land and private industry Second to that, we have these huge, uh, vast regions of crown land. Now, crown land is public land, but you cannot uh, hunt in any capacity on crown land. So if I step out my door, 
a lot of bushland around me is crown land. So that's owned by the, uh, it's, I was going to say state, it's actually owned by, I guess, the continent, the continent mm-hmm. or the federation. So, and then also we have um, state forests. Now, there are about 220 designated state forests in New South Wales, which you can uh, hunt public land on. And what you have to do for that is, look, there's, it, it makes up about 6 million square acres. Six, wow. six, yeah, six million square acres. I think that's right. So there's huge, there's huge um, regions of land that you can hunt. A lot of it is either um, general bushland or also timber plantation. Um, and what you do to to hunt that, you need to apply for a restricted license, which is, in short, we call the R license, which you do a, a hunter educational course. Um, and you, they give you a, a license in your hand and then you go online and you can nominate a forest that you want to hunt in and that'll be regulated on, on the size of land and the uh, hunters available or the, the spots available giving you enough room to hunt. So, for instance, one of the very first sections of public land I hunted was this a state forest called um, Pennsylvania State Forest. Now, Pennsylvania State Forest itself is about four hours' drive from where I live. Um, I can't tell you how many acres it, it makes up. It's it's huge. It's a huge forest, and it's a real pretty region and made up of natural bushland, rolling hills. It's got a nice big canyon in the middle of it, and there's a lot of um, radiata pine plantation. And there's a lot of deer in there. There's a lot of fallow deer. There's some red deer. There's the odd, you know, um, boar and pigs, and there's a couple of little mobs of goats in this, a canyon system in there. So I could go online, I can click on, and I can nominate to hunt that forest. And at, at one time, or uh, you can book up to seven days, and then you can book again afterwards if you want. But at one time, there can be about 19 hunters allowed in that forest. And I've been there when it's been booked out. I've been a lot, hunted a lot of public land. And I don't really run into a lot of uh, hunters, to be honest. So it's 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 done in a very fair system. It's done in gives you enough room. It's very very hard for um, bow hunters, to be honest, because there is a lot of hunting pressure. Um, but I've never taken a, a deer out of any state forest. I've taken a pig out of a state forest down south. But uh, I used to hunt them a lot. It's um it's really good. There's a there's a good fight to keep that. Again, public lands, as you guys say, public lands in public hands. And it's a very, um, there's a, a, an ongoing political fight for hunters' rights and and the image that hunters set for themselves. So there's some good um, people trying to keep that up and trying to get us all um, pushing along and, and trying to open up more lands and, um, and uh, promote ethical hunting and responsible hunting. But in Victoria, it's, it's very different, whereas... Um, I could go down to Victoria and I can buy a hunting license, um, just say in a bait shop. And then I can just go into a lot of state forest, which there's huge, huge, vast regions of state forest down there, but we can also hunt in national parks down there. Um, you can, so to picture 
the regions I'm talking about, picture the Rocky Mountains that go up the um, west coast of, or the west side of the US. On the east coast over here, we have um, the Great Dividing Range, which is kind of like the Rocky Mountains of Australia. So the Great Dividing Range goes from South Australia all the way up into the southern um, mountain regions of Queensland. And that is where a lot of hunting is based along. And that's where all these national parks and state forests and um, public land hunting access is available through. And in Victoria, it's it's generally what we call the Snowy Mountain region. So if you ever see a, a famous old film, The Man from the Snowy River, it's kind of like in Victoria, it's kind of like that land. It's... it's um, it's kind of like, um, you know, there's, there's, oh, there's Mount Kosciuszko, which is, is in um, New South Wales, which is our highest mountain, and it's all built around that, that mountain range. And that mountain range and all the state forests that go out hundreds of kilometres outside of that, that's where all our, all our deer were released through, um, actually, a, a lot of it was illegal, and a lot of it was through... Um, failed deer farms and escaped deer farms and that makes up all our deer hunting um, uh, possibilities and, and whatnot so all, all those deer are um, you know and when, when I say those numbers we're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of deer in these regions which yeah which so is so it the, sounds yep sorry go ahead I'm, uh, no I'm sorry I think we had a we had a break up in the yep in the conference call there, because I, I lost you for a second. Um, so it sounds like there's a pretty diverse uh, types of terrain, and and yeah, it's, yep. you know, I, you know, a lot of us here in the in the states, we I, I guess our our mental image of Australia, you know, we relate it to everything we've seen in the movies and on, yeah, on TV. Yeah. So it's <laughs> it's it's um, yeah. Uh, quigley down under it's all yeah, you know everything's red and, and reds <laughs> and rocks and and yeah so is it i mean do you have when you when you mention the national forest i mean you're i'm assuming you're not talking about you know like a, it doesn't look like a desert i mean it sounds no. like it's it's just like it would be on in the the west coast of states lots of trees probably rocky yeah, in places yeah. that kind of thing see what, what the um that sort of terrain you're talking about with um say uh quigley down under the there's um that's all in central australia now on the east coast and the generally an area you would say like for instance where, where i do my main hunting is um down the south coast from where i live it's about an hour's drive and that's rainforest it's rainforest with pockets of uh farmland and and that's only to hunt one specific deer but when i when I do all my hunting uh, for goats and pigs and, and, and another deer species, that's the central west region. And that kind of, it's kind of what your picture would look like. The um, I've seen a couple of bow hunting f uh, videos with you guys chasing pigs in uh, California, the Californian hills. It, right. it, it, it kind of looks like that. It's probably, it's, it's like, it's canyon areas. There's a couple of river systems. There's some really big, steep, um, rocky terrain. But it's it's pocketed and and I suppose you kind of kind of picture um, that I think is it the West Texas Canyon regions. There's like you know where you hunt those or, the ordad. You know where you see yes yeah okay so 
all that kind of rocky terrain mixed with California, North Californian uh, rolling hills, that's kind of what a lot of it looks like. But down in the southern region of Victoria, it's thick, um, cold climate rainforest with build-up of gum tree and underneath or underfoot, you have a lot of scrubland. And that, that's what makes our hunting really hard is it's very unforgiving terrain. It's very scrubby bushland. Um, but if you want to hunt the inland, the um, inland Australia, uh, probably some of the best things to look at is uh, fellas like like uh, Jack Spinks. He's a very famous uh, traditional bow hunter over here. He's only a young fella, but he um, he's you know he's killed a hundred a ton of animals and does a lot of hunting. Um, he's actually one of the traditional bow hunter editors for some magazines over here. But if you look at him on YouTube, that is, that's what you're talking about. That's the sort of land that a lot of people are very familiar with, with, with hunting inland Australian pigs and the flatland or what we call the red dirt goats. So you get goats, like a lot of these, um, wild goats and that we hunt, I hunt, um, introduced goats in mountain regions which is big canyon systems and river systems and and scrubby sort of um, bushland, but once you you head past the again the um, Great Dividing Range, you get to uh, you, you drive about six hours west or seven hours west of here. The land becomes very flat, and it turns into red soil, really rich red soil where we grow a lot of um, cotton, we grow a lot of rice, a lot of um, grain. And that is, um, that's where you get a lot of huge populations of wild goats and wild pigs. And that, that's what a lot of people picture for Australian bow hunting as well, or Australian hunting. Okay. And that, thank you for painting, painting that picture. That, that, that was very descriptive. Um, I do want to come back to the animals, but yep. I do want to finish up the discussion around the, the land access. So yep. how does, how does that differ for individuals that actually own land as opposed to hunting public land, as far as the, yeah. the, the seasons and the licenses, is, is it yeah. pretty much the same except for the access or is it, is it a different process? No. So, so in Australia, we, we, um, you, you cannot hunt, um, native, uh, fauna at all. Uh, if you if you own a farm and to be honest, um, you can go to pretty much any farm in west or western New South Wales or a lot of places in Australia, you'll find kangaroos which are in in all honesty they're in plague proportions. Kangaroos are everywhere. Um, farmers do cull them to keep their numbers down because they do compete with with cattle and grazing and whatnot. So farmers are allowed to apply for a tag system which they just get they get it for pr practically for free and you can keep those numbers down but farmers um, the, the animals we hunt they're all introduced game they're all introduced through either uh, you know Captain Cook brought out goats with him and he brought out pigs and, and there was um, the first fleet brought out uh, pigs pigs and goats for and the, the early settlers so they brought out um pigs and goats for food source now that began probably the first introduction to the animals that we hunt to this day and secondly there was the acclimatization society which is 
essentially in the 1800s, the British decided, well, we're homesick. We want to hunt some animals and feel like we're at home. So they introduced rabbits, foxes. Uh, there were some European boar brought in, but they've been uh, water, the bloodlines have been watered down into farm pigs, escape pigs, and other pig species, which make up our wild boar population. Um, and deer were released in huge numbers and also through failed deer farms in the 90s when the deer uh, venison prices dropped. Essentially what the farmers did, they couldn't get rid of them. So they, um, throughout a, a period of many years, they just dropped their fences and, and let the deer go. So they've become the wild deer that we hunt. However, if you're a farmer and you own land, there is no restriction for you hunting any introduced animal on your land. So, Steve, if you owned... Um, a hundred acres in outside of Sydney on on farmland, and you had, which there are fallow deer on the outskirts of where I of um, Sydney where I live. Mm-hmm. Now, if you have a hundred deer on your land, you can shoot every one of those deer in one day if you want. You can you can hunt them as you want because being a, a um, non-native animal, the way the government sees it is they're a pest. But the way the hunters see it is they're a commodity and there's something that we want to manage and regulate. And that creates a big fight that we've been going on for many years is what's conservation hunting? What's what's um, a practical approach to um, conservation hunting and, and, and allowing certain numbers to thrive in order to um, sustain access for hunters like myself to continually hunt? Whereas... I'm not a landowner, so for me to hunt on private land, I've met friends or some of my friends have farms and I've another thing in Australia is called door knocking. So you'll go out, you'll you'll drive around, you'll you'll you might write a page up of, of who you are and what you plan to do and you present yourself to a farmer and you're essentially a salesman or trying to sell yourself and asking if you know you can get permission to hunt animals on his land, which is another thing that it can be very successful or it can also be very unsuccessful. So I've got a mix of farmers that I've met or friends that own farms. So I can hunt any animal I want on their land as long as they give me permission to hunt on their land. However, if I want to hunt uh, deer, which are classified classified as a game animal, I need to still have an R license or a game license to hunt on private land. So I get that license. I can then hunt on even if it's my best friend's uh, land, then I can go and hunt those deer legally on his land. If that, uh, I hope that, is it, that explains it. No, no, that, ex- that explains yep. everything. And you actually even went into some of the, the other topics I wanted to discuss. So it was, it was a real good segue as well. Yeah. So you were talking about, it sounds like the, the, the hogs that you're hunting are pretty much identical to what, not only what, what you we're hunting on? here in the in the states, but how they were introduced was yeah. uh, settlers brought them because they were they were hardy. They they yeah. took care of themselves and they just basically turned them loose and yeah, exactly. would, would take them as they need them and it, they kind of took off. So and and goats are the same way over there. Yeah, it, it's um, I've I've listened to other fellows talk about it in the states with the pigs, but um, it, it's exactly the same. It's it's the exact same thing, and there are. Um, I've actually seen Scott Moore, who's hunted um, some of the pigs he's hunted have look like they have some good European bloodlines. Now, you'll see over here, you'll see the occasional photo come up, and you're like, oh, you know, like, gosh, that's 
that looks like a European wild boar, and it will be in outback Australia. So there are those bloodlines in there, and they, they come up now and again, and, and, and I guess it's like a, a, a genetic throwback maybe where those genes come through. But the, the goats are the exact same thing, but the, re, the way goats were introduced um, outside the first fleet is um, you know, goats get farmed a lot over here now because they're worth so much money and, and we're constantly in and out of a drought. So a lot of people do muster goats. If you go out western New South Wales to areas like Cobar, Lightning Ridge, you can see mobs of goats that are in, you know, you'll see a mob of 500. You know, there'll be, there's, wow. there's thousands <laughs> out there. Like some, some farmers in the course of a week can muster those goats and they will... They'll muster, you know, two, two, three thousand, and then they'll sell that for one hundred and fifty a head. So a lot of farmers don't want you hunting the goats, but a lot of farmers, you know, they're just they're not bothered with it. So it's like the the goats are there, go for it. You know, if you've got access, we're, we're going to hunt Western New South Wales later this year, and and we'll be hunting goats. And, and the farmer out there, he's he's got, you know, I think one hundred and about one hundred and thirty thousand acres, and um. And he's like, yeah, don't, don't go silly with it, but just just take what you need. You know, you, you might chase a, a big trophy billy, and and then we'll, you know, we might kill one for meat. So it's, you know, we we keep it sustainable, and we don't we don't go overboard with it because with our laws, being an introduced animal, um, you know, if I wanted to hunt deer myself, and I was for whatever reason, if um, you know. It, it takes a lot of work to get one deer, as we all know. But if you're good enough, you could shoot 10 deer in one day and leave them to rot, and that is not against the law. So it's very, for a lot of Americans to hear that, they'd be like, well, like, what are you talking about? And it's it's not something we do. You know, we, we take all the meat we kill, but uh, the government sees it very different to what the hunters see it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and I've heard I've heard tales of the same kind of thing happening here when it comes to uh, wild hogs. I've I've yeah. heard I can't tell you how many people I've heard say you know they they shoot the hogs just because they're a, 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 a nuisance, they're a yeah. pest, and they won't they won't eat it because they're saying it's you know it's unclean. And I'm telling you, it's it has become probably one of my favorite, especially yeah. what I have access to here on the East coast. Yep. Uh, as far as table fare, I, I like it better than I do whitetail. Yeah. Um, it's I'll, really good. I'll be honest. I'll, I'll tell you something that sets a lot of people off over here. Now I love venison. I love hunting venison. Now I hunt a lot of rooster deer, which don't actually taste that good. Uh, whereas fallow deer are phenomenal. And, and a lot of people say in a lot of ways, they're comparable to whitetail, but I've heard that too. I hunt a lot of goats over here and I would, I'd take, you know, I'd probably rather eat wild goat than a lot of venison. Just, be, just, And that's only my taste buds, you know, I'm, because it's a versatile meat. You can throw it in curries. You can cook it like lamb. You can, um, you know, I make a lot of Jamaican curries. I make a lot of uh, Asian cooking with it, which is a huge influence in Australia anyway, but... It's so versatile, and, and, and goat meat is phenomenal. It's just absolutely phenomenal. But and I've, I've never had it that I know of. I would say um, my wife and I actually got married in Jamaica okay. uh, many yeah. years ago, and yep. you know they have you know, jerk pork goats, and yeah. jerk chicken. I, I'm pretty sure there was some goat mixed in there that I ate, but I, yeah, did, I didn't yeah. know. You know, I didn't know it was any different. So it doesn't. Most of that doesn't bother me. There's a few animals that I look at and go, "No, nah, I don't think I want any of that." But for yeah. the most part, 
it I'll try just about anything. Yeah, uh, same, same. So, Jimmy, how are how when you when you're talking about hunting, you know, the, the pigs and the goats, you yep. know, what's the typical method yeah, that you're okay. using for hunting in in Australia? Is it typically spot and stalk? Or are you using blinds? Do you do, does anybody actually use elevated tree stands? That kind of thing. How you know what's the what's uh, the the general rule? Or is there? there? <laughs> uh, there's there's no rules. There's no rules. I mean, um, well, actually, it was illegal to hunt over bait until recently, but but it's just that's not something people just do. Um, I think only in the last year they've they've allowed baiting of um, deer because we've had uh, we do have a season for um, as I said earlier farmers can shoot them when they want but our generally we have had until this year there's a three year trial going ahead for the European species of deer so roost uh, what I'd say fallow deer red deer have a general season from March to October whereas uh, axis deer rooster deer and sandbar deer have an open season and there's another deer called uh, hog deer, which you can only hunt in... Well, there are in New South Wales some pockets, but in Victoria, they're only for April. So when we go out and hunt, generally we're coming, discluding what's happened this year, a lot of people aren't really still hunting the fallow deer right now uh, because of they're, cu- they're coming into hard antler pretty much like right now uh, a lot of the deer are stripping back their antler right now so a lot of people will go into the bush and, and starting to hunt once it starts to cool off around around march march is still quite warm but once you get into april that's the fallow deer rut and the red deer rut happens uh, a couple of weeks before that so essentially what people are doing um me for instance i'm going out in a couple of weeks with one of the fan one of my friends ray that i hunt with a lot with and we're going to start targeting fallow deer. So we'll go out to the hills. Um, we will be opportunistic hunters. So if we see pigs or goats, excuse me, we'll um, you know we'll have a crack. We'll try and, and try and get in and, and and stalk them. But essentially, it's all spot and stalk. Um, I have used blinds, but our blinds, like I'll move trees around and set up a little a little setup on a game trail to hunt deer. And when I hunt rooster deer down the south coast. Which are a um, interleased into an area which is on my doorstep, which is the Royal National Park. From that, um, that was one of our very first deer releases in Australia, and they're from the island of Java. They're a big. Uh, they kind of look like a really big, brutish-looking ac- um, chittle or axis deer with a brown coat, very similar antler formation, and they're they're kind of the size of. Uh, they get up to about 120 kilos, so they're kind of like a a small elk, kind of like a mix between a big northern mule deer and uh, and a, and a okay. really small elk, kind of like that mm-hmm. in body proportion. But when I hunt them, um, funnily enough, you you put a, a video up recently about when you got that um, the deer with uh, the was the it self bow. the self bow, yes sir, and you were sitting in a bunch of fallen trees in that video. Mm-hmm. That's practically how I hunt rooster deer. In um, on my friend's farm down down south, sitting on a game trail because it's such thick jungle, you really can't move around a lot. And I'll hunt the jungle on the fringe, on the farmland fringe, wait for them to come up a game trail, and it's just sitting and waiting. And a lot of people will hunt sandbar, very similar, but goats and pigs, uh, a lot of fallow deer as well. It's all spot and stalk. It's practically 
ball spot and stalk. You'll you'll see a tree stand now and again by someone, but they're really undiscovered over here. Like we know about them, but it, it's just because of the terrain. It's it's real hilly, and I suppose some of those fellas out out west where you can still hunt good deer numbers. Um, that's where a tree stand would really come into a really good effect. But because of our terrain, it just it kind of um, prohibits that just because it's it's so hard to set a tree stand up on our on those undulating hills if that kind of makes sense it it does and it sounds too like and probably just like we have here it sounds like some of the animals some of the deer species are more uh predictable they have they have patterns yeah. they follow yeah but some of the like the it sounds like like the goats and the the pigs may be more nomadic and they're just yeah. moving and feeding as they go well, our, is, that, pig, is that fair? Or? Yeah, very fair. I mean, our, our pigs are, I've got access to hunt pigs, but I'll see them a lot. But um, a lot of people over here do what's you know, hunting with dogs. So they'll pig dog and, and they'll uh, bail, them, bail them up and then and then use a knife to dispatch them. But that, that moves a lot of the um, pigs away. Now, I'll see a lot of pigs. I'll see a lot of pig sign, but... Um, once you stalk a pig in our terrain, they're a lot one on one compared to a deer or a goat. A pig is easier. Like you know, we know what their eyesight's like, but their their senses, their smell is phenomenal. But you know, we've shot a lot of pigs sort of within 10, 15 yards stalking in on them, and it it's hard, but it's not that hard, you know, like it's one on one with a goat is a lot harder, and one on one with a deer is extremely hard. Sure. But um, that kind of puts it on, you know, it sort of will show the, the parallel between the, the different animals. But um, the thing with pigs is over here, they are, like this time of year, oh, I shot a pig a few weeks ago and that was pure luck because they came up to a dam. We happened to be sitting by the dam waiting for goats to come in. But um, other than that, that property I hunt pigs, they're really hard to come across. But once you do find them, they're a lot easier to present a stalk. Well, and, and I'm sure the, a lot of that probably depends on the ground cover, which you said it yeah. was thick. And, yeah. you know, I've heard people or seen people say things about, you know, uh, a, a pig's eyesight isn't that well and their yeah. their ears aren't that good, but their mm. sense of smell is really great. And it definitely right on the, the sense of smell. Mm. But I don't think their eyesight is all that bad. I just think because of their body makeup body side and yeah. body side right and their 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 eyes are lower than a deer so yeah, that's they have a hard time yeah. seeing out uh you know i've i've seen sounders of hogs in the distance and pretty much sprinted yeah you know okay. to within yeah i don't know 80 yards or so and then really start trying to stalk in on them but yep. you can get by with a lot of movement up yeah, until true. you get fairly close yeah that's true a, that's that's probably a fair fair statement yeah, if, if you take it slow and they've got their head down feeding because the thing with pigs is, you know, like, well, yeah, you can be hunting and you, and you can have a deer walk up and you're like, oh, man, where did he come from? Like, they're just mm-hmm. this huge animal that just doesn't make noise in the bush where a pig, you can hear them from a mile away because they're grunting and snorting and they're fighting and, and you'll see the, the, the boars sort of bite each other on the on the tail and, and knocking at each other, but... I think with their head down, especially when they're feeding, they're making so much noise ripping up the grass and ripping up the tree roots and, and trying to get, you know, worms and trying to get, 
eat the 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 soft the soft shoots off grass that it allows you to get in a lot closer so yeah, they can't hear they can't yeah, hear for all the noise it, they're making themselves yeah that's right it's probably a, perhaps it could be a bit unfair with what we're saying is you know well they're just not that attuned but it's they're just too busy filling their bellies maybe <laughs> well, like I've, I, I've, I've hunted them both ways i've i've killed i've killed pigs spot and stalk which is yep. definitely exciting yeah uh and and i'm not a big i'm not a big fan of bait hunting especially for certain species but i yep. will say you know bears it's pretty common and i think it it bears are hard to hunt yeah uh, without bait yep and and i've hunted pigs over bait and i will tell you this the there is there is few things that will actually get my blood going quicker yeah. than hearing a huge group of hogs coming oh, into yeah. the feeder i mean yeah. the, the the like you said they they just make enough noise running but then they're fighting and they're squealing and biting yeah. at each other and it's pretty um, cool. the, the the other thing and i don't know uh climate wise if it if you ever have temperatures this cold in australia i just don't know enough about the climate but mm. here uh when it's when it's really cold it it's kind of fun to get out walking for pigs because if you can walk up on a group of pigs that are um trying to stay warm yeah you can hear them from a long ways off because they they'll group up and the pigs that are on the outside as they start to get cold they they move around and try to you know push their way root their way into the into the middle and and they really make a lot of noise i've had that happen twice where I walked up on groups of hogs doing that when it was really cold, and it's it's the same it's the same thing here. It really is. I mean, this time of year, a lot of people are getting really good numbers in pigs because of we're in we're in a pretty bad drought again now. And you know, I I shot mine as he came into a waterhole because it was when we were hunting. It was thirty eight degrees, and you know, it was it was really difficult. Which you know, it's probably oh, a hundred probably 100 degrees for you guys and it but in winter or around may is for me and 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 my mates where we go hunting and we we hunt a lot of pigs in the hunter valley um up in a town uh, called merriwa up north of uh north of sydney about two or three hours north of sydney so in may and in winter up there it's exactly like you just said they'll come out there's been a little bit more rain. The grass is really in good condition. Those, those pigs, they'll feed all day. And the last pig I got up there, I didn't get a. I got a pig up there two years ago, and it was at one o'clock in the afternoon, and he was happily feeding in the sunshine, and um, beautiful, rich green grass. And it's just that time of year you know it gives them a really good opportunity and it's and because the grass is long the grass is wet it, you're able to stalk in on them so right it's picking you it's picking your terrain and picking uh the approach in that terrain as well which is which is um you know just, just as important i guess Very very cool stuff. Very cool stuff. I, I and I love I love hunting. I love hunting pigs. It's uh, yeah. It's mainly because I can do it so much of the year. But I just I yeah, do I do really enjoy it. They're probably so, the one animal that gets me. Um, I now I don't want to curse myself and say I don't get buck fever, <laughs> but because I, because I see a lot of deer, like I can drive to my parents' house and 
and visit them in a little town called Heathcote. And that's they're, they're bordered by two national parks and and we see deer a lot, you know. Like you, you can go out at night and go for a bushwalk on the on the fringes of the suburb and see deer. So they've always been there. But I don't get nervous when I'm hunting them. I, you know, you obviously get excited, and, you know, but, but pigs are the one animal that I'll get buck fever. Like I'll sit there like trying to draw the bow and I'm just too overexcited and you've got to calm yourself down, so... Tom is really going to help. He couldn't make this because that's, that's the way Tom is. He's yeah. Uh, well, he's he, going to see a just, lot of pigs where he's gone. He's going to see a lot of pigs. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. Uh, he he loves the pig hunting, and I think I was talking to him a little bit about it today. He's he's going for for buffalo. Yeah. Uh, he gets uh, basically he 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 gets to hunt till he gets a bull. Yeah. Then he'll get to shoot a scrub bull if he wants okay. to. Yep. Then after that, he can he can kill hogs, and he said he could fish for. And I'll I'll butcher this uh, this Baramundi. pronunciation of Barramundi, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So, one, of uh, them. one of them. Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 kind of what his plans are. And he he mentioned something, and I've, I've jotted it down here in my notes. Now, have you ever uh, have you ever hunted in like a, I think they call it like a canvas hunt or something like that, where you're hunting out of you know tents in the outback, that kind of thing? Have you ever done a hunt like that? Uh, no, we, we've 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 hunted that in the the central west in um, sort of hilly country and and things like that. But I think what he's talking about is a big uh, a big like those big um, like a safari. Yeah, yeah. No, so they'll they'll do a lot of that in um, Queensland. A lot of the outfitters do that in Queensland and the Northern Territory, and uh, they're the sort of bow camps and, and hunting camps that you can do. It's kind of like those big tents out of out of mash and. The big army tents and everyone's got their cots and and sort of a little a mess table and whatnot and I think that's what he'd, he'd be talking about there. It 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 is because he he hunted he hunted Africa this in 2018. Yep. And it's you know he was saying uh, talking to me about how that you know when people hear the word safari they have a picture in their mind of what it was like <laughs> from the old movies and so forth yeah. in Africa and he said yeah. that's not the way it is anymore it's it's big money and they've got yep. these really nice lodges and yeah. your food's prepared for you and he said you know which when you're hunting in in the in the outback a lot of times it's more like the old safaris are today because they're doing it out of these big canvas tents so yeah okay now i think he'll be doing more of a uh, a lot of the Aussies what they do with that is They'll get you some food, or they might buy some some steaks and things and 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 bits and pieces. But it's they um, the outfitters they kind of fit in to be one of the hunting group. So it's it's kind of not um, silver service kind of stuff. It's it's but it's really really humbled. Really, um, you, you'll feel like they're a part of your camp, and they're they're just one sure. of the boys. That's how you'll feel. Which which I I would prefer. You know I'd. I don't. I can't stand people waiting over me. It's not that I it just just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm the same you know, way. You know, I'm the same way. Yeah. And and it sounds, if I know Tom the way I think I know Tom, he'll be the same way. He'll he'll enjoy it more this way than he will yeah. what he you know what he got accustomed to when he was because mm. he's hunted Africa twice. Yep. Um. And and I think he's. I think he's done. I don't think he'll go back to Africa. Um, yeah. but he did say he wanted to hunt Australia, so he's doing that this year. Mm. And man, I couldn't be more excited for him. I, I, maybe one day I'll get around to it. I I, I just don't know. But yeah. Uh, yeah well, so yep. The 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 next thing I was going to ask you, and then you know I, I definitely want to to get into a at least one hunting story from mm. you. But yep. 
So everybody has, and again, thanks to um, you know the crocodile hunter and and yep. and yeah. TV here in in the U.S. <laughs> everybody thinks Crocky. that pretty much everything in Australia will either. Uh, stab you, sting you, or, or kill you. So, yeah. <laughs> is it is it is it really as bad? I mean, obviously there is some very um, dangerous animals in Australia, but I mean, is this something you worry about, or you come across on a regular basis, or is it just you know they're no. out there and? Nah, no, it's there's some, there's some there's there's an endless amount of funny stories you'll hear about this stuff, and you know, like a lot of fellows will sort of. Tom will tell you because you know when he's going to hunt, he'll see the best of it because he will see crocodiles and and you've got to right. be careful. You know, if you hunt those, the Cape York for for pigs and which um, I nearly did this year, but I decided to do another. To decide to go to New Zealand instead, but there's a lot of you know when you hunt those big pigs up there, there's a lot of crocodiles up there, and you, you do have to be careful. Yes, there's a lot of snakes around, but um, to put it in perspective for me, I mean. We see snakes, but all honesty, I mean, where I grew up in Heathcote, you know, we've seen a lot of snakes. We've got brown snakes. We've got red belly black snakes, which, uh, you know, you'll see them more than any other snake. I think we've got about the, the top eight most deadly in the top ten for snakes. But if you don't harm them, if you don't bother them, they won't bother you, you know. My friend last uh, last year or the year before, he did get um dry bitten on the leg and he was but his pants that he had on when we were hunting we were actually opening the gate to the farm and there was a brown snake and it and it, it struck him on the on the ankle but because it it knows it obviously can't eat him they they dry bite you so they'll bite you and they won't release the venom and that's that's the only time i've ever heard of any hunter being bitten or coming close um and we checked his we checked his leg to see, and he was fine. The, you know, and the boys all sat. I had a, we had a laugh. Not long after it, and we had a beer <laughs> later, and we, you know, and we kind of. He was still, he was still shaking that night. When I come on, man, you're all right. It didn't do anything. <laughs> you know, we were a bit. Yeah, it, but a, a, a brown snake's pretty serious business, though. Yeah, that that'll kill you in twenty minutes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I think Probably I would be a little nervous too. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I've seen a lot of them. I mean, I see a lot of red bellies. The 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 hunt I went on recently where I got the pig we um we got a couple of goats got a and I got that pig and it was we were we were sitting on a hill glass and a mob of goats and we were sitting up against the log and we had a red belly black snake come up and he was only two feet from our feet and we're kind of like oh geez there's a snake there and we sort of stood up like he wanted to keep coming because he wanted to get into the log that we were sitting on and uh, we just had to jump up on the log and it was a bit of a shock but we just let him go on his way and he. He was really relaxed, you know. We, we we've got a couple of YouTube videos that my mate my mate took, and we came across a couple of. Um, I shot a little pig again about just over a year ago, and on that trip we we found three red belly black snakes. So they won't hurt, they won't harm you. There's certainly a lot there, you know. There's there's a lot of things out and about, but you give them their the respect, and they'll give you the respect, you know. And the the red belly black snake is that how 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 poisonous is that related in relation um, to the brown they're not as poisonous a red belly will kill you but you'll you'll it, once it bits you but you got more than 20 minutes yeah you'll, it'll, <laughs> it'll give you a couple of hours yeah yeah <laughs> but the, the one thing is this is a, the funny story i was actually talking to a friend at work the other day and he, he didn't realize when it comes to the funnel web spider which is a nasty piece of work 
they're a really big spider, really big fangs, and they're very aggressive. Um, he didn't realise, well, you know, we, we were at work chatting, and where I live in the Sutherland Shire, that's kind of like a county, you know, so I picture a county in the States, and we have this big river system called the Port Hacking River. And the Port Hacking River, there's a couple of suburbs, that's where the, fun, the Sydney funnel web spider, that is its natural habitat, and... Um, the highest concentration that's where you'll find them so in the bays around where i live that's 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 where you'll find a lot of them and i, I used to be a uh i don't work landscaping in, in construction anymore but I'm a, I'm a landscape um tradesman and probably about 15 or so years ago we um we were digging up we were, we we're building some steps from a, a fellow's boat ramp up to his house and digging that those steps, we found thirty-two funnel web spiders in one day. Oh! <laughs> but we caught them and we, we took them to the vet, and they uh they do the antivenom, so they they catch. So we we ca- caught them in jars, and and you take them to the vet, and they'll catch them, and uh, they uh, they milk them, and then they make the antivenom out of that. So near you, you've got you've mentioned the funnel web, you mentioned the brown snake, you mentioned the <laughs> which I had never heard of the the red belly black snake. But now yeah. you also mentioned you were on the coast, and the the box jellyfish can be a yeah. problem there too, right? Yeah, they're up Queensland, and that's pretty nasty. Yeah, yeah, they're they're uh, there's there's another jellyfish called the Irukandji, and that is. Um, that's a tiny jellyfish, so this is going to freak a lot of listeners out. <laughs> <laughs> so That's not, what we're here for, Jim. So it's not the box jellyfish you've got to worry about as much because you'll see them. And they're in, they're, they're all, a, they're a tropical jellyfish. Now we have jellyfish down here and um, they won't hurt you. They're just, they're, um, they don't have, they're not poisonous to us. They'll, they'll sting fish and do what they do. But um, in Queensland, and once you get into tropical waters, the box jellyfish has killed people, but you've got the Irukandji, which is um, that jellyfish is smaller than your uh, thumb, your thumbnail, or smaller than your pinky nail. So you won't—they'll sting you and they'll kill you. But there's actually been cases of people um, in like in the water and, and inhaling them. Ugh. So you get them in your throat, and then they've been hospitalised. And I'm, I'm not sure the numbers of people have been killed by that, but. Everybody over here is pretty aware of it, you know. We're we're pretty responsible swimmers, and it's uh, it's a lot worse than it sounds. It's certainly nature's out. It, it's you know what? It's like grizzly bears for you guys or wolves. You know they're there. You just gotta you just gotta be safe and responsible how you approach the environment. Well, and the same can I mean the same can be said of the states if you just focus on what's bad. I mean, you know, I don't think we have any that I know of, we don't have really anything quite as bad as the funnel web, but we have the brown yeah. recluse. We have the black yep. widow. We've got the, the cotton mouth. Talk about a, a mm. nasty snake. That's a that, nasty that, snake. Yeah. Yeah. That thing will come after you. I mean, it, yeah. and, and your family, if it will. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the, the rattlesnakes, which rattlesnakes are pretty much like your time. They, they, they will stay out of your way. Um, yeah. you, you know, they, and you hear them coming. <laughs> At least they give you, you a they warning. Will, they will definitely <laughs> warn you most of the time. Uh, yeah. and you know, a few years ago, uh, you were talking about the, the little blind that I, I had yeah. in the video. <laughs> I was hunting a similar thing in what's called a hammock seat. I yep, don't know yep. if you've ever seen yeah, one yeah. of those. Yep. And, and I heard something, and you know my my butt, I'm real down low in this thing because I'm hunting whitetails, <laughs> and my butt was probably two inches off the ground. 
Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'd raked out a bunch of leaves and I heard something moving and we have, you know, we have all kinds of beetles and yeah. uh, even, even uh, scorpions that they don't hurt you, but they are in the leaf litter. And I heard something moving and that's what mm. I thought it was. And, you know, I slowly turned my head and I looked down and I didn't see anything and I just kept waiting for it to move again and didn't, didn't see anything. So I went back to my vigil and just a second or two later, I hear it again, and I, I look down again, and I cannot find the source of this sound. And about the time I went to start moving my head back, the ground moved. And then as when it moved, it came into focus. I could yeah. see it. And it was uh, abs- the biggest copperhead I, have, I believe I've ever seen in my life. And it was I could see its tail on my right side and yeah. its head on my left side. And they're pit vipers, so they're yeah, they're attracted yeah. to heat. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and I just I sat perfectly still. Now they are they're like what you were talking about with the the brown snake. They I think they have one of the highest uh, rates of of dry bites of any okay. snake in the states. Yep. But I still didn't want to. I, I sat there and let that thing didn't want to test know, it. get away from me <laughs> and and. And I took I took him out. I, okay. I, yeah. But anyway, I, I'll share a picture with you sometime. It was I've got a sixty eight inch longbow, and this, this and say. copperheads are they're short. You know, yeah. they're typically short and fat. And I'll show you a picture. It's it's longer than half my bow. I mean, it was a monster copperhead snake, biggest one I've probably ever seen in my life. Well, they make a good bow backing, don't they? That's, that's they do. They make I would a have gorgeous bow backing. Down and thought, gee, I'll put you on a bow. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, you know, before we before we manage to to take up all of our all of our time here, yeah. I I would I know I would, and I'm sure our our listeners, if you if you can think of one, I'd I'd love to hear a a, a hunting story, a you know a favorite okay. hunt that you've had, or you yep. know if you've got something humorous, that's good too. But I'll I'll leave that up to you. Okay. Um. You know, there's a lot of funny ones, but um, whether they they might not be appropriate. <laughs> I've got I've got a good. <laughs> I've got a, um, I suppose there's a good story which gives you sort of good perspective of um, a lot of people ask me why you bow hunt and why you, you know, why go shoot it with a stick and a string when you can when you can shoot it with a rifle and um, there's a, I think it gives you good reflection of distances and 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 some of the decisions you got to you got to make to get in close. I, I like this story because a couple of um, it's probably. Oh, not, not June, June last year, June the year before. So about June 2016, I was, I was hunting uh, rooster deer. And so the rooster deer, the big, big bodied, uh, pic- picture, I suppose, a teeny bit smaller than a red deer with a big, uh, thick um, axis deer antlers. And they were released into the National Park, uh, the Royal National Park down where I live. And they've since spread and people have picked them up and released them in Queensland. There's really good um, hunting access for rooster deer in, in North Queensland because that's a natural environment. But where I hunt them, it's real kind of rainforest. It's sort of like picturing maybe the the, Cas- the Cascade Mountains, you know, up in uh, up in uh, Oregon where you you guys have yes. a real a lot of rainfall real thick forest it's kind of like Australia's version of that perhaps but um yeah so was, it was about June 2016 I headed out to the my friend's property and it's it's about oh 700 acres of 
It's built of two uh, two big paddocks linked by um, this dense bushland that he owns. And then it rolls onto Crown land and goes out to, um, I don't know what the name of the National Park is down there anyway, but it's full of the deer as well. It, it's, it's, it's on the southern highlands of New South Wales. So anyway, I got out of the car in uh, the four-wheel drive and I, 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 I snuck into a sort of good glassing spot and sit and wait for the sun to come up. And I'd been doing this around the Roosa rut. So it, it's like the, the, the whitetail rut, but they rut in, in the high winter, right at the peak of winter. And they'll, they'll roar like a red deer. So you'll hear them in that big, deep roar. And they're very... When they fight, they beat the, the crap out of each other. You know, they really, really get into each other. But I snuck in and there's this bench that we glass from. And I'm waiting for the sun to come up. And I could see this big stag. And he was out in the paddock. And I thought, oh, geez, I'm not going to get to him. And he was feeding back around me and, and, and probably give him an hour, he'd probably sent me from the position I was in. But further up, I saw these hinds. So we call, for this particular species, the, the, the males are stags and the females are hinds. Mm-hmm. So I snuck in, there's this, this thing that my mate and I call the island. And it's, you've got to sneak across this grassland. You get to this big island of, of thick bushland. And I got to this thick bushland. And I thought, oh, I'm, I'm picking out where I can stalk in. And, and I'm hearing these other deer roar around me. So there, there's deer deep down in the valley roaring to each other. And I thought, wow, this is this is great. You know, it's it's all happening. It's, I've got this huge stag down behind me. And I thought, I can't get him. I snuck into this game trail. And it was thick of sign. It was the grounds ripped up. There's prints everywhere. And I thought... I could sit here and wait, so I waited a bit longer. But then I saw these hinds, and with the stag behind me, he'd moved off in the bush. I thought, all right, these hinds are about a hundred meters from me, and there was about six of them. And they they do feed in in mobs, sort of, you know, three to four, five. Sometimes you'll see them in mobs of twenty. And I thought, oh, I'll wait here. There's a couple of rub trees around me or I'll sneak in for one of these hinds. I thought, look, I'll get a hind. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll get in. I, I, there's a good stalk on them. So I was belly crawling down. You know, I'm a big fella. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a, I'm not a very, um, I'm certainly no um, twinkle toes, you know, sneaking through the bush. So I'm belly crawling across all this mud, and I'm like, oh, this better be worth it. This better be worth it. <laughs> I, got, I got to this really good spot, and I'm like, all right, these deer are feeding straight to me. And then out of the, out of my right comes busting out of this bush, this big rooster deer. And he's roaring and he's carrying on and he's, he's like, I own this spot, this is mine. And I'm not, oh my God, I thought you're kidding me, you're kidding me. He comes sneaking along, well not sneaking along, but he's roaring and I can see the dune, it's, it's cold. Is this steam coming out of his mouth, the steam out of his nostrils, and he's bellowing and roaring? And I'll tell you, that's a hell of a sight. You, you, you listen, you know, you're listening to this roar of the bush, and and he's, he had he was about a 32 inch animal, so that's that's really big for a, a rooster deer. You know, they get up to 36, 37 inches, but 32 is, is once you get to 28, that's sort of what people start measuring trophies off. Mm-hmm. So he was about a 32 inch. And I'm watching him come past me, and he was 40 yards. Now, I know guys that will make that shot, but I'm not good enough to make that shot. And he walked straight to where I was sitting. 
So he's walked straight back to where I was sitting on this trail. And I'm like, oh, you're kidding me. And he sat down. <laughs> <laughs> he sat down two yards from where I sat. And I'm like, oh, my God, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't happening. I was like, there's a trophy of a lifetime. And he sat down on the trail right where I was. So I snuck back around him. And I got to this bush and I could see his antlers above it. And then the winds just trickled a little bit. And I was probably about 10 yards. And I'd just taken an arrow off to... I'd just about to knock an arrow. And he stood up and he's just... We're locked eyes. And he got a scent of me, like a little hint of my smell. And he's just bolted across the paddock. He stopped and he looked back. And when he's looking back, it was like something off a beer commercial. You know, that big big awesome looking deer so he snuck down i'm like oh my god i can't believe that just happened but then these hinds just kept coming straight through so i had to belly crawl through all this mud get to this other spot again these hinds came across and with a 20 yard shot i just lined up and i was shooting a um back then i was still shooting with a, a tomahawk longbow and that was a 55 pound longbow and they were that was a grizzly broadhead i think i was shooting back then and that was about 20 22 yards and just punched straight into the ribs perfect shot and she's bolted straight into the scrub and um she made about 100 yards and and, and where we hunt you know you gotta you gotta do a good tracking job so i found droplets of blood but she just then the blood just stopped and i'm like oh man it was a good shot it was a perfect shot in the lung and i, I had probably six inches of um it actually snapped. Strangely, it had snapped on a shoulder blade. So it gave me a false perspective of the penetration, but I'd actually punched into the other side of her um, shoulder blade on the other opposite side, and it embedded in a shoulder blade. But um, I had to track her just through how she'd ripped up the ground, and there she was, lying dead um, in this nice little clearing. And, and it gave me a really good look of... You know, 40 yards, that's a compound shot. 100 yards moving in, that's a good rifle shot. But it gave you that good perspective of, I suppose, why we choose choose to hunt with traditional gear. You know, that, that hunt could have been over earlier on and I would have had a, you know, a big trophy on the wall. But taking that hind home, you know, butchered her up and I, I carried that whole thing out and it was uh, just a perfect day, you know. Mate, my, I got to give the meat to a lot of mates and a lot of... A lot of uh, pats on the shoulder the week later having a good barbecue with with some good buddies and um yeah it sort of showed be patient and listen to your instinct early on because I, I knew something had come to that that big scrape and that torn up ground and it ended up being a 32 inch rooster deer but it was a good consolation prize the the rooster hind so it was um yeah story that one's in my instagram picture i've got it sitting down there with it with it holding its head up and um, patting it on the sort of head sort of sitting there in the in the grass but it was uh yeah it was just a really good good fun hunt good to get that deer on the deck because it was a it was was a tough stalk and i had to do it twice but um yeah i could probably pester you for hours with uh, different stories up in the hills but that's that's a standout one just because of uh just to get that deer on the deck was that was what it was about for me and that's okay somebody somebody else may hear this and and reach out to you to be on another show and if they don't we'll we'll bring you back on here again and we'll just we'll have an episode of nothing but stories yeah uh, uh-huh. and i and i i do i do definitely understand what you mean uh you know just even looking back at this this previous season 
Mm. Um, I took a a really really nice buck that, in my opinion, you know, pretty much any bow hunter would have been proud to to take. Yeah. It was four and a half years old, mature. Um, I did shoot it from a a tree stand, and it was you know it was still stick bow close. I mean, it was eighteen mm. yards. Yep. But then that 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 little five point. I, I'll be honest. If you if you ask me today, which I could I could only I can only go back and and if I could do it over again, I could only take one of them. Yeah. It would be that it would be that little five point. Yeah. Natural you know in natural cover on the ground, which I've done before, but I don't do it that often. Yeah. Um, yep. But you know to to have an animal you know set the the self bow thing aside because that was that was really cool as well as the first time i'd done that but you know to have to have a buck that close and to be able to be patient wait for just the right moment for them to be you know slightly out of your line of sight and to turn their head the right way and be able to get that shot off there's there is no adrenaline rush like that on the planet in my opinion I, i think it's kind of a um a lot, I think and until you sort of love something you do, you know, like it's like when I when I bought my, my first Howard Hill bow, I mean, I always wanted to take a deer with a Howard Hill bow. And I, and I t- ended up taking a, a rooster deer, uh, I think last year or the year before with, with my Hill bow. And then, but you know, the rut last year, the fellow rut, I mean, I said to my mate, I, I want to get, I actually went out to get a, a pig with, after I'd taken a deer and then I, we'd seen some pigs and wanted to get this pig with my hill bow but then you know come like you say you talk about yourself bow and and whatnot but you know my mate rattled a a a fellow deer in for me last year and i took that with a hill bow and it just here's a little spiky head but i mean i could trade that for a you know i could take a rifle out and and shoot a nice big deer on on a hunt but like you say i mean give me that little two-year-old beautiful skin looking fellow with a hill bow any day of the week you know because it's i suppose the um the trophies in the eye of the beholder but if, if you love that um you know like there's just something about a simple hill bow and to be able to you know like go and get an animal with that it could be any sort of animal or you can get a, a nice deer with a compound or a recurve or something but if if you hold if you hold something in your heart for that that self bow then that'll hold a, uh, a a deeper treasure in your heart than than it than regardless of what other deer you get down the road with any other bow i think well and there was a lot of there was a lot of little cool you know side stories and and back histories with you know the the bow and some other pieces about that hunt that i won't yeah. get into too much here but you know i have had several people ask me you know so you're just going to hunt with a, a self-bow for everything now going forward and and it did you know i loved it and i know i will hunt with a, a self-bow again yeah but my i must admit my my true love is with those howard hill style the, yeah. the straight limb bows yeah uh in in fact the last couple of years i've i've really been hunting with a a bow from jay st charles it's one of his mm. older design nice bows yeah. What's that now? I'm sorry. Oh, no, they're nice bows. They're really nice bows. They are. And this is, uh, so it's a, another one of those little side stories. A, a, an elderly gentleman on the local club uh, that I shoot at every month walked up to me a couple of years ago and just handed me a bow sock. And it was a, a two-piece takedown 
St. Charles. It was an older bow. He knew I liked Jay's bows. He knew I, you know, I was a, a, a big fan of yep. of Glenn and and have gotten to know Jay really well. And he said, you know, this thing's just too heavy for me and somebody mm-hmm. that will shoot it and appreciate it should own it. And he gave it to me. Yeah. Um, but his his older bows are much more akin to a hill style. There's some subtle differences. Okay. But the you know the D shaped core of the limb and so forth, like the hill style bow, is there, and it mm. it feels and shoots like a hill. Yeah, his his newer classics are a bit more of a, in my opinion, uh, I've not asked Jay his thoughts on this, but they're really more of a flat bow. They still have that straight limb. They have a little bit of back set, but the limbs themselves don't have that D shaped core to them. They're more they're they're flat. Yeah, Great okay. shooting. I love them. I've got uh, what have I got three three or four four of them now. Um, but they're just a little different than a hill style bow. But as far as shooting them, they pretty much, they pretty much shoot and feel the same. They mm-hmm. just look a little different. Uh, but yeah, I love my hill style bows. Mm. Do, is that, is that what you hunt with the most now or do you, you mix it up pretty much? Uh, no, I, I haven't hunted with the hill bow since I took a deer, I think October last year with the, with the, the hill bow, but no, I'm pretty much just now. Um, I, I shoot Great Plains bows. I used to shoot the Tomahawk bows, oh, okay. but um, yeah, I, I started getting into the. Um, I bought a couple of Great Plains long bows, and that's um, that's what I hunt with now. I've got a I've got a Rio Bravo long bow. I've got a No Sage bow, but I've. It's actually my. Uh, funny enough, it's my 40th birthday on on Saturday here. Well, happy birthday! <laughs> thank you, thank you. And uh, yeah, the wife bought me a Great Plains custom uh longbow and it's a estacado model but it um i had it made up custom so it's 57 pound it's a takedown two-piece and um that's cocobolo and bird's eye maple with um antler tips but it um it's beautiful it it it, it I've, I've actually been shooting it <laughs> but it she doesn't know that but it's um it's officially mine on on monday but i'm oh, sorry saturday but um that's the bow i'll be taking to new zealand to hunt uh, red deer and fallow deer and, and some turkeys with so i bought that specifically for that and i'll be able to hunt um you know queensland pigs eventually one day with it but yeah they're, they're the reflex deflex bows and that that's what i prefer over anything that that little extra speed i love the uh, i love the way shane makes those and any bow sort of looks like a a custom model but they're um yeah they're just that perfect for me that nice i shoot around 50 normally 50 but i got this at 57 just for a little bit extra um a little bit extra speed with um territory pigs if i want to come across them and i shoot a six i'll be shooting a 680 grain arrow out of that with a 200 and 240 grains up front and um yeah so that's that's where my heart's at now with the great plains bows they just um yeah tick all the boxes really and shootability and, and the way they look. Well, that should that should definitely definitely get the job done. Yeah. Last thing, last thing, Jimmy. Then we're gonna wrap this thing up. You, yep. What's your what's the next hunt you've got planned? Um, I'll be I'll be doing a fallow deer scouting trip in about three weeks, but I'll, I'll get out maybe next week and hunt rooster deer because I can. It's it's pretty easy for me as a shift worker to get out and hunt them. But um, yeah, I'll be getting down to the mountains of. Uh, down on the Abercrombie River outside of uh, New South Wales and um, hunting mountain goats down there and, and, and we'll be scouting for fallow deer and if I can get in close to a, 
a sort of a meat deer or a, or a little any sort of trophy deer i'll uh, i'll definitely do it i'm a, a hunter of opportunity so if it's um honestly if it's whistling up a fox or hunting a deer hunting a deer or or, or hunting a, a goat up in the hills i'm i'm easily pleased you know just getting out and having fun I, and I definitely hear that, and I definitely can appreciate it. I I wish you all the success in the world. If uh, and if you ever get the chance to to come stateside and and do some hunting over here, be sure to let me know if there's if there's any way I can swing it. I'd I'd love to just meet you and shake your hand. Yeah, no, I'd love to. We uh we have, my sister in law lives in New York, and we keep we keep saying we go visit them. But I'm like I keep saying to the wife Emma. So, well, you, you can go to New York. I want to go hunt black bears or, or go down and chase hogs down in Florida somewhere. So, yeah, I think I'm, we, uh, I'll leave I've the wife, New, I'll leave the wife and come have a, come shoot some arrows with I've been to New you. York once. I don't, I don't ever care about going back. Yeah, I, <laughs> so, mate, I'm as close as New York as I want to be, to be honest. <laughs> same, same way here. Well, Jimmy, I think we, we are, we are approaching the hour and a half mark. So I think we're going to, we're going to wrap this thing up. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time to, to sit down with me here. I hate, I hate Nick couldn't make it, but, uh, yeah, no, I'll tell him good day. Say good day for will, me. I will definitely do so. And, uh, and I'm sure Tom will, will wait for, with bated breath to listen to this episode. So yeah, cool. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a privilege. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for uh, tuning in. And don't forget the the giveaway that we announced at the start of this show. Get out there and and, uh, get subscribed to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review. And again, we wish everyone the best of luck in that giveaway. Until next time, take care, everyone.